You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Welcome back, ladies, to The Devoted Podcast. So you're now about halfway through the Beautiful Design series. I say about because I think there's eight parts to the series, but what if the Lord's like, nope, we're going to do nine or six or whatever, but I'm pretty sure we have eight. So I think we're about halfway through this series. And this particular episode has a little bit of a story behind it. Today, we're going to talk about equality. And I just want to look at what the Bible has to say about this ever so popular and trending term that we have of equality. And we have it, culturally speaking, we have it on different levels, the world, the church, I think in marriage, women, for sure, gender equality. I mean, it's, it's a very popular mantra right now, I guess. But where this sort of started in some ways, this entire series, I think in some ways, kind of came out of this particular word right here. Because I was asked by someone, just a darling high school gal, to she was she was working on a Bible project. And her topic was gender equality and sexism. And I hear that term, I hear those words, and immediately just something kind of just doesn't sit real well when I hear those. And particularly, she was wanting to hear about my, you know, input on that as it relates to the church. And and so gender equality and sexism in the church. And so I thought, well, this is, so I just spent a lot of time, I really prayed about this. And, you know, she and I were going to have this conversation. And I just really kind of had to wrestle with this a bit and kind of get all my thoughts kind of out there. (laughs) And so after spending a lot of time just kind of thinking about what is it about this equality term that just does not seem to sit real well? Because, you know, I want us to always turn to scripture and see what does the Bible say about this? Is this a term that we've just deemed and, you know, decided is a virtuous word in our culture? Have we decided that equality really is a goal and it should be our aim? And if so, is that from our own mind or is that really what the Lord would say? Is that what the Bible would say? So I think we all know, you know, I love to define our terms, but I think we understand what equality means. It's having the same degree of dignity or claims is how my Webster 1828 dictionary defines it. Having those things the same, having equality of rights, In our dictionary, the modern definition, it would say the state or quality of being equal. And it corresponds with quantity, degree, value, rank, or ability. So equal. It's kind of a math thing. We get it. Scripture. What does scripture say? Here's a few passages for you to start chewing on as we we dive into this. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful beautiful verse about that Jesus doesn't see us any differently. Romans 10, 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Love that. First John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I wanted to include that one because while maybe that isn't a verse that you would think of as speaking to the equality, equal nature of things like Galatians, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. But I think 1 John 2, 2 is really important to keep in mind that because it's saying not 
it's for the sins of the whole world. We're all equal in that. James, what also talks about not showing partiality and and those kinds of things, not good. As men and women, we're created with equal value as image bearers of the same God who sent his son to die for the sins of the whole world equally. We talked about that last time, Genesis 127. So God created male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them equal image bearers, equal value. So we do see that equality there. He offers the forgiveness and remission of sins to anyone who would repent and seek the mercy of Jesus. That first John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. He freely gives that. And there's no partiality between races or genders or anything like that. But we all have equal access to the Father through Jesus. Beautiful passages, right? But maybe you're going to stop me and say, okay, well, that sounds great. And we get it. Of course, Jesus loves all of us. But this is where our wheels start turning. But shouldn't we, as members of a decent society, contend for the equality of all things? Well, now we might be talking about something different. We're moving away from not necessarily just talking about the equality and the equal value that we have as image bearers and the equal opportunity we have in our access to Jesus and the cross and the remission of our sins. Now we're talking about something a little bit different. When we're talking about this and whether or not we should really be clamoring in a society that we should just contend for all things to be equal, I think we need to let that thought play out a little bit. Here's a probably a silly example, but as we talk about gender equality specifically, because for us as women, this is where this debate comes a lot. If a building is on fire and there's an elderly man trapped on the third floor of a building, here's your deal. You can send in my brother, who's a police officer, who's probably done this a few times before, and he can run in and he can carry that man to safety. Or you can send me in all of my five foot four inch glory and, you know, in the name of gender equality, because, you know, the last time there was somebody up trapped in a building, we sent men in two times before. So, you know, really, we should, to be equal, we should send in the woman, right? Well, trust me, the man who is trapped up there is really hoping that gender equality does not win the day when we decide who's going to go in. This is a funny thing about this. We fight for the ideals of equality when they suit our purpose, but When common sense or necessity rear their ugly, you know, gender specific heads, we typically think again, it makes more sense to let my brother, the police officer, go in and and rescue the person. The confusion often is presented when we realize that what we're actually talking about is equality in outcomes, the same pay, the same jobs, the same rights. It's just kind of a big political debate right now, too. Now, I'm not arguing that women should not be able to be paid fairly for the work that they do or adhering to a biblically unsupported system of women not being able to vote or own property. We addressed those last week. The Bible presents the industry and the business savvy of, for example, the Proverbs 31 woman. Jesus honored women during his ministry in a very countercultural way that showed his deep compassion for women and really honor for women, but equality. So, When I hear this word, why as a Christian woman do I cringe when I kind of hear the battle cries of gender equality? Shouldn't we treat everyone fairly? While equality is vitally important and certain when it comes to our value in God's eyes and our access to salvation, I fear it's no more than a self-serving attitude of entitlement in most other cases. I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but hear me out here. 
As women devoted to God's work, we want to look to the one who created us for who we are and what our so-called rights are. Even that word right there. Let's think about that. A great place, I think, that we always have to start in any identity battle is with a right understanding of the nature of man and woman, okay? We're sinners. Romans 3.23 leaves no question. All have sinned. And we are, by nature, children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3 tells us. Children of wrath and sinners. Does that sound like anyone that's really entitled to all the wonders of equality? But our sinful nature is the first voice to pop in our heads and just soothe us with sweet melodies of how we aren't really so bad. We have good intentions. So, you know, really, we surely aren't quite so vile as to merit the descriptive of children of wrath. That sounds really dark and heavy. But if you think that, then you must then answer the question, are you right or is God? Because God says that you and I are wretched sinners destined for hell. Is he right? Or do you know better? I mean, I know that sounds like maybe you're like, that's too cut and dry. That's too, but really, that's what we're asking. The Bible says we are sinners. We are by nature children of wrath. And so when we start questioning those and trying to, you know, prop ourselves up like we're not really so bad, we're trying to listen to our own intellect, our own reason over what God says. And, you know, this is why I really wanted to start back at that uh, that second episode where we talked about the authority of God's word and it being the boss of us. Because for me, I want to choose to submit to the one who created me, that he knows better than I do the end. It really makes things so much more simple. So if we begin with an understanding of who we really are, I guess I'll just put that as vile yet dearly loved sinners. Okay, yes, we are wretched sinners, but we are also very loved as we see throughout all of scripture. But if we begin with this place that we're sinners, but we're loved, then perhaps I think the perspective on what we deserve, in air quotes there, and what we're entitled to will become more clear. See, that's what I think might be wrong with this entire sexism and gender equality conversation, because it assumes that there is an injustice to be righted, when in fact, The greatest injustice of all is what provides for eternal righteousness and resting home in heaven. Okay, I'm going to break that down because what do I mean by that? What injustice am I talking about? Philippians 2, I'm going to refer refer to this passage a few times, but Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Wow. This is a profound verse, especially as we start measuring our own equality. Was Jesus shown equality in being God, then being reduced to being a man? Is there equality in that? God, perfectly holy, perfectly just, king, creator, this is God, reduced to a man. Is that equality? Then submitting himself to death, it says. So not only did he become a man, he then submits himself to death. Is that equality? It gets better. On a cross, like the most horrible way you could have died in antiquity. He even goes there. Death on a cross. Is that equality? 
And then you get to the, you know, the culmination of it. All of this that he did became a man submitted to death, death on a cross for a people that were still in their sins, it says. Is that equality? You can check out Romans 5, 8 and Ephesians 2, 4 and 6 on that as well. That's a really sobering and amazing several verses there that Paul's writing in Philippians. And it makes me ask myself, what right so-called do we exactly think that we are entitled to seeing how Jesus, who was the perfect son of God, he didn't fight for any right. He didn't fight for justice. He didn't fight for equality. I love the story in, in John 13, where we see at the Last Supper, where Jesus models how he is wanting his disciples to love each other and care for each other. And so keep this image in your, in your mind still, because remember, we're talking about the perfect son of God who became a man. That's already a step down that we cannot possibly comprehend. So he goes there. And then at the Last Supper, he takes time to take off his robe. He puts a towel around his waist. He gets down on the floor and he starts washing his disciples' feet. We don't have a really great image, I think, of what this really would have been in Bible times, but feet were disgusting, okay? We're talking the streets that they were walking on were not our nice asphalt, you know, paved roads that, yeah, you might get a little dirty, but it's not that big a deal. No, these were nasty roads. Animals walked on these roads. They would be trudging through all kinds of things that you did not want to have your hands on and be washing. So keep that image in mind. I mean, probably the grossest thing I could think of is, you know, is if you're maybe equating it to us cleaning toilets. What's the worst job in your house to do? You know, what is the one that nobody wants to do? Well, that's what Jesus, okay? Keep in mind, son of God, perfect, came down to be a man and he's washing their feet. The worst possible job. And it was a job that not only is not a fun one, but it was one that a servant would do. That is the position that he takes with his disciples. When he's done doing it, he says in John 13, last part of verse 12, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is amazing scripture that is pointing us to the fact that here we have Jesus giving us this example of truly, truly serving. He's putting his money where his mouth is, isn't he? Because he's not just telling them to do it. He's saying, no, I'm going to show you how this is done. And he says at the end of uh, John 13 and verse 34, he is even putting this so strongly that he's adding it as a commandment. And he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is coming right after him washing the disciples' feet and giving them this object lesson, basically, of how they are to love. So he's pointing right back to being on the floor with their nasty, dirty feet. That's the way you're supposed to serve. That's the way you're supposed to love one another. So keep that image in mind. Maybe it, keep Philippians 2 in your mind here as, the, you know, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not fight for equality. He did not fight for his rights. So keep that image in mind and then contrast that to the women's empowerment cry of equality that we have. It is a sharp contrast to this biblical picture we have of servanthood, humility, 
preferring others above ourselves, dying to ourselves even, when there are so many clear mandates from God's word on our attitude and conduct in these matters, I really struggle to justify the extensive energy and angst that women really pour into this battle cry. Let me read a little bit more of Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This same posture of humility and servanthood, I think it should also provide the foundation for a discussion on women's roles. I suppose there is more than one sphere in which equality and debate rages. I think we see it in the world, we can see it in the church, but also in marriage. So I want to break those up a little bit. First, equality with, in, as the world kind of fights for all of this. And should we clamor for it? Should we clamor for equality in the world? I think what I would say to this one, and, and for me personally, we always want to run it through the word. So whatever injustice you think you feel or that you see, and I think probably especially I'm going to say on the feeling side, because if you feel like this has been so unjust or you're, whatever the, the treatment that you think you need from an equality standpoint, run that through scripture. Let's see what scripture says about that feeling, because it, you might be right on point if that's what, what scripture is saying, but you might not be. And so I would say run that, whatever the world is giving you of fight for equality in this, fill in the blank, run that through scripture and pray about it. Pray that you would have the mind of Christ. Just like it said at that last part of Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. And so pray about that. Seek what the scripture says before you grab your sign and march. I mean, really, we really need to pause and do that. I don't think I want to add too much more to what the world's debate is on what equality is, but I, I just think it's so important that we come from a place of humility. I think that is the most consistent piece of what scripture is telling us of where that foundation needs to be. Come from a place of humility. What about in the church? There are a lot of phrases I've heard around the big C church in the last couple of years. So church overall, not just specifically right here. I've enjoyed serving in church in some way, in church ministry, for more than 20 years. Women's ministry was kind of a frontier I was not initially real excited to explore. Story for another day. Some of you probably know it. But all that to say, I've been around church for a while, for sure. But in the last few years, I feel like I've been asked questions like, don't you think women's voices should be elevated? Or, you know, as a woman in the church, is your opinion sought out? Or do you think the church provides equal opportunities to women? I've heard that. There's so many more. If I could just maybe just address those one at a time, there's more like these. These are just the ones that kind of come to mind right away. But how about that first one? Should women's voices be elevated in the church or our opinions sought out? Those, are, those two are kind of similar. And it's a trendy word, especially this word elevated. Man, our voices to be elevated. I'm just going to tell you right now, I just cannot really say that word. And then read Philippians 2 regarding humility and feel like that's okay. Those seem to be very contrasting statements. Colossians 3.12 also says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. That's what Colossians says. Specifically regarding the church, which 
By the way, we're going to do a whole episode just on what the Bible says regarding women's roles in the church. First Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Keep in mind, we're still talking about whether or not our voices should be elevated. These passages, and there's many others I could have brought up on here, they don't indicate that the elevation of my voice is what is called for. But I bet I'm not the only one who's heard these phrases because we're supposed to be fighting for equality and for, you know, that the women who have been supposedly put down for so long that their voice would be heard. I'm never arguing for misuses and abuses within the church. Absolutely not. But I am trying to point us to scripture and ask us for our, that we think through our own motivations, our own thoughts about these things and running them through the lens of scripture and specifically keying in on humility. Because when I think about how Jesus sought equality or rather did not, Conversely, he's posturing and pushing a an a attitude and role that is humble. And several all these verses, they're, they're talking about having a compassionate heart, being humble, uh, meek, letting the Lord be the one that exalts, not not men. There's one, the, the voice being elevated. How about, is there equal opportunity for women in the church? Now, again, this one could get me off on a tangent here, and we're going to talk specifics on this when we dive into the roles in the church specifically for women, because there are just certain roles within the church that the answer would just be a flat out no. That absolutely 100% does not bother me one bit. And nor do I think we should fight or be contentious in any way about that. We'll look at those more specifically and questions that come up in that episode. But okay, just if we're looking at the equal opportunity for women in the church, not going to those specific passages, we're going to get to that. But generally, I have maybe a rather, maybe this is kind of an obtuse observation about this idea of equality in the church. So bear with me on this. This is not like going to be the most amazingly insightful thing you've ever heard, but for some reason, this hits me when I think about this idea of if there's equal opportunity for women in the church. I think of how Jesus's treatment was towards women, and, and, and he pretty much just turned the cultural norms for treatment of women just upside down, for sure. I've read some Jewish scholars who have pointed out that there really was even a shift in how women were viewed, kind of shifted in the intertestamental period a little bit. They referenced some Jewish writings and things that happened where you see this difference between really what the Old Testament had for women and then what it was like during Jesus's day, because women were not regarded well at all during Jesus's day. I mean, it was far worse than what we were experiencing before the suffragettes, you know, hit the road. So it was not a pleasant environment for women. Jesus comes, he just takes those cultural norms of how women were treated, and he just has nothing to do with them. And you can see this in so many places in the New Testament. And I just love this. I mean, think about just who God chose to be the vessel that would bring the Savior to the world. A woman. You know, Mary, she is the woman that will bring Jesus into the world. So there's that. And I think that's pretty significant. But one of my favorites is the Samaritan woman in John 4. And this is a woman there's has so many strikes against her. Jesus is seeing her in the middle of the day and she's a woman. This is bad. She's a Samaritan, which is real bad if you're a, you know, an upstanding Jewish citizen. 
she likely was a woman of poor reputation because she was there in the middle of the day, which probably indicates that she wasn't really hanging with the popular crowd. You know, the women of that day would have come at the beginning or like early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cooler. She shows up in the middle of the day and it it was likely because she was of poor reputation and she didn't really have place with the other women of the village. This gal just had nothing going for her, really. And Jesus chooses to strike up a conversation with her. And it's not, read John 4. It's not even just that he talks to her, but it's even what he says. I mean, he reveals some really big theology to her. John 4, 23 is when he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That was a whole new idea that was being brought out. It wasn't shared with any of the disciples that we have on record. He chooses to first reveal it to this Samaritan woman. Then he tells her that. Then he chooses to reveal for the first time that he's the Messiah to someone else. I mean, this was giant. And then she's recorded as being really, you know, basically the first evangelist in that she went and she told the village all about Jesus. So really significant way and a very countercultural way that Jesus treats women. And there's lots of other examples of how women were treated well and how Jesus clearly did not view women as less than by any means. And yet, and yet, by God's design and will, he chose 12 men to be his disciples. Okay? I mean, he regarded women highly, so it doesn't seem like he couldn't have chosen six men and six women or eight women and four men. I believe that he valued them equally in their worth and as image bearers of God. I mean, and he acted on that because he didn't really care what the culture was treating the woman as. He was going to treat them with honor. So he could have done this very differently. And yet he picked 12 men to be his disciples. He valued them equally, and yet he gave them very different roles. And maybe that's, that's like I said, it's not a super insightful, it's probably pretty obvious observation. But knowing that Jesus only did the will of his father, and then that it was the perfect will of the father, that it would be men that would lead his church, and that it was all men. I mean, I just think this is, it's kind of an obvious observation, but it's an interesting one to me because he could have done it differently. And in fact, today in our quality debate, in our equal opportunities, and there has to be this number of women represented if there's this, I mean, that just does not seem to be consistent with what we see in the Bible. Now, there's some arguments sometimes, I have to say this because somebody will probably send me a note and say, hey, but what about Junia? So there is this, possibly this gal named Junia that some make a case that she was an apostle. And I've read several things on this. Honestly, I really think you really have to work to get there. And when the evidence to the leadership of the men is really clear, but not to discredit her, I think she, like many other women, were considered co-laborers. But I think to get to the point that she would be as an apostle, I think that's pretty tough to get to from the text. But some people do throw that argument out. I just find this one to be like one of those really obvious pieces that, yeah, he could have picked six men and six women, and that would have been much more, you know, politically correct in our 2021, 2022 age. That would have been much more palpable. But nope, he's going to pick 12 men. And I don't think you can say, well, you know, that was just the culture of the day. I don't really think Jesus cared that much about the culture of the day, because if he did, then he wouldn't have he wouldn't have regarded the Samaritan woman at all the way that he did. 
So we see the equality debate in our world. For sure, we see the equality debate in churches. We can also see the equality conversation in marriages. I think it was last week I referenced the book that Elizabeth Elliot has. And, and when talking about equality in marriage, she says equalities have been delineated equally centers, equally responsible, equally in need of grace, and equally the objects of that grace. And that's where the 50-50 matter ends. To the point, this quote from Elizabeth Elliot, and I think it's right on. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of where this gets real weird in marriage. Like roles in the church, we're, we're going to take an entire episode just to talk to, about this one too, because when it comes to what the Bible has to say about marriage specifically, there's a lot of good stuff. But when we try to throw equality in, as this is said here, it's a disaster. When equality is fought for above all costs in marriage, yikes. We had, Chris and I, we, for years, we led a newly marrieds group at Athey. And it was so great. It was this, we did it for about six, seven years. It was perfect because we would get these couples right when they first got married for the most part. And then we would have them for like September through May. And then we'd basically like kind of graduate them. And then, you know, then we would take on a new group. So we did this, this group for several years and many, many times you could hear stories of maybe they were sharing things they were trying out and how they, they kind of thought this whole thing should work. Or maybe it was even influences of maybe how their parents did things. But it usually came down to when the equality ugly head was raised of, you know, well, there needs to be equal chores. You know, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. And, you know, you do the dishes and I'll do the trash or and then, and then you know, jobs and things like that, you know, marriages work that stuff out. Sometimes it would even get a little bit further. We'd get to like, well, equal checking accounts or, you know, or separate checking accounts. You have your thing over here. I have my thing over here. Or the probably the strangest one that I don't mean to say that in a condescending way, but I actually don't think it's a great idea was probably in the vacations one. We would hear ones where the couples would be like, well, she got to take this trip with her friends. So then I get to take this trip with my friends. And there was just kind of this strange, like, like bargaining, negotiating deal in their marriages where you would hear like, well, I have to make sure I get something equal to what you're getting. And it no, I'm just going to warn you about that right there. The two shall be one. There is no 50-50. It's just gross. It does not work out well. And again, I, I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but if you're in your marriage to make sure everything is equal and maybe even just this almost like a worldly concept of equality is kind of seeping in and you're looking for ways that, well, that's not, that's not fair because he got this and I didn't get that or you got to guard against that. So even before we get to the specific passages regarding marriage, like we're going to do in a future episode, go back to this Philippians 2 verse for your marriage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's from humility. Look to the interests of others. I mean, it's just a great baseline for where we need to start. So I think we need to capture this word equality a little bit. And by capture, I just mean taking that thought and what do we mean by equality? And what does scripture mean by equality? How did Jesus treat equality? It's easy to let the trendy, the things about women's empowerment or women's voices that being elevated and just kind of let them slide on by and not to, you know, kind of grab that and really analyze that. Ask the Lord about that. And this is kind of a tough one. And I hope you all hear me in the way I'm intending this. Because some of you might be thinking, well, are you just saying to accept unjust treatment? Like horrified, shock, how can this possibly be? And I guess what I want to say is maybe, sometimes, maybe not. I think we just need to pray about those things. 
I think we need to come up, depending on where we're at, are we coming at it with a posture of humility? Or are we just so concerned that our we're heard, that our voice is the one that is being put out there, that we are the ones that, you know, are being noticed and on the platform and, and whatever way that that looks like. We got to really like peel these back. Remember I told you guys back the very first episode, if there's something in here that is offensive to you or that just really rubs you wrong. I reminded you that Amy is not known for being just awesomely tactful at all times. That it's not my intention to be harsh or not tactful, but I'm just going to confess right there that I'm going to mess up. What I want you to do is when you hear something like this and go, oh, this thing in which that I think that I need equality so much, how does that line up with scripture? Pray, you pray about that. You seek God's word about that. And do what he leads you to do. Have the mind of Christ on those things. I think it starts and needs to come back to perspective. What is this life for? Is it so that everything's equal? Is it so that everything is fair? Is it for us to receive the honor of the world or the honor of our peers or, you know, to make sure we were recognized for this thing over here that we did or this thing over here? I think whenever possible, We have to bring these things back to Jesus. That's the best place to be. And for me, when I evaluate this idea of equality, what should be equal, what should not be, what is the thing that I get all bent out of shape about and what things do I not, we have to bring it back to God's word. If anybody, if anyone had a right to fight for equal treatment or to be elevated or to be noticed and made sure their thing was what everyone was persuaded on. It was Jesus. And instead, we see him being perfectly God, coming down to die for the sins of people that we didn't even love him, as scripture says at the time, that he died for us while we were yet sinners. We love because he first loved us. We didn't even do it first. Is that equal? I mean, there's just so many things when you really think about equality when it comes to the Lord, there's no equality there. So for me, it makes me have to really look at these things that I, you know, want to go, well, that's not fair. That's not right. Well, is that the end of the world? Is that where Christ would have me? What if the exact situation that you find yourself in right now, as lowly as it may seem, as unnoticed as maybe you feel like not even important, what if it's exactly where the Lord called you to be right now? I mean, if that's the case, there's no better place that you'd rather be. The world defines equality and the world has all kinds of things to say about who we are as women, what we should do, what kinds of things we should fight for and march for. Gotta keep bringing it back to scripture. What would Jesus have us do? And are we coming with an attitude of humility? Next week, we're going to look at some advice that I think Eve would give us. And we're going to go back to Genesis and look at some things in the Beautiful Design series, specifically as it pertains to weaknesses even that we have and all the way back from our very created design and from our created order. So I'll see you guys next week and we'll jump into that. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com.